there, Jilted Indian Podcast listeners. It's Pooja. Anju. And Miranda. And today we're going to be talking about representation in the media and our brown asses and where we fit in on that. Uh, to that end, we're going to start off with a new segment that I would like to call, and I hope you guys co-sign, Under the Shade Tree. Co-sign. All right, so um, our first inaugural topic, Under the Shade Tree in Representation. Uh, we're going to talk about ways that we have been misrepresented. And for those of you who don't know, shade is a way that we throw um, just disrespect to some idea or notion that we find offensive, right? In or... this particular case, we wanted to talk about Harry Potter because we have strong feelings. This, uh, this I have, I think the only reason why I wanted this podcast to even happen was so that I could angrily talk about this bullshit. <laughs> what are we talking about? Is in Harry Potter, specifically in the Goblet of Fire, there are there's the Yule Ball, and during the Yule Ball, the two hashtag curry scented bitches known as Padma and Parvati Patel get to go with two of our heroes, Ron and Harry Potter. We thought this was a winning moment. The two Indian girls, we don't really, you know, we Ron, yeah, but Oh, Indian girl got a date with it. <laughs> Indian girl got a date with the chosen one. Both, both of the both of the lead males definitely. So yes, it's a good big moment for we thought, Indian representation. We thought finally, okay, finally that, now. But our big moment came in the fact that in the book, and I feel like J.K. Rowling did a decent enough job in describing the outfits. Yes. That um, these two, they each wore contrasting colors on the color wheel, pink and teal. But the main thing was that they had these luxurious plaits or braids, as we call them in America, with gold thread and um, just chiffonous, diaphanous Indian outfit. Translated to the Goblet of Fire movie where no expense was spared for CGI. Right, because we have, this, this here, there's no shortage of money here, okay? It's freaking Harry Potter. And at this point, the fourth Harry Potter. Right. Every Indian girl was in the theater, and I, I just know this resonates with everybody. We're all in the theater. The Yule Ball scene comes up, and the Patil sisters walk in and I swear to God every friggin Indian girl watching that was like what <laughs> the <laughs> yeah. fuck what the fuck is that shit in this movie they are wearing orange and pink which to me the outfits that they are wearing are the so you dress a kid yeah it, it's the equivalent of a training bra you grow up and you hope that your boobs can fit in the fancy la perla um, lace and, and beadwork, what have you, Indian outfits default come with the fancy embellishments. And what they showed here literally is the equivalent of a training bra. I have not seen an outfit like that since I was 15 years old. Yeah. Andre, do you want to describe it? Because my my adjective is basic Indian bitch. Like, yeah, like not even. Like this is the kind of thing that I would wear on a random sweaty ass day in India because it's a five-year-old outfit and it's allowed to get dirty. Like, this. Oh, no, it's not even that it's a five-year-old outfit. Like, this was, this is not formal wear. Plain fucking shit. <laughs> this is plain. This is what children wear. And, and you're, you're right. It's very much for, like, kids. Indian girls and women, the minute you can fit into a sari and there is special events going on at your church or at family functions or get-togethers... You're wearing a freaking sari. You're not wearing that. 
And even if you're not the kind of person who wears a sari, which is me. For me at that age. I have <laughs> pictures where I look way fucking better than that. And that's Harry fucking Potter movies. Like, yeah, I don't we joke. You, I think you, Pooja, I think you said that like. It's like something their mothers brought back, a mother brought for them. And I'm like, no, their mother would have brought better clothes than this. Like, yeah. I don't know who chose this, but this was not. And their mom would have showed up to put it on them. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Yeah. And, and several aunties would be like, no, Beta, you, you <laughs> tied that wrong. Or Beti, whatever. I'm not sure about the gender of these. Essentially, why we're talking about this is because they missed a giant opportunity to properly represent Indianness or brown culture in the Harry Potter universe, and that is a signal to how, in general, we are represented in media across the board. So in this case, you have two Indian uh, British actresses playing Indian British roles, which in itself is very um, revolutionary. But then to go the extra step of dressing them in the sense of how Indian women actually dress, which is... Formal. And I would say, like, extra. Indian women compete with each other in that sense. About, it's a little competition, It's a competition. It? Like, not in the sense of, I can afford better than you, but I can make the worst look good. And, and what they were wearing can never be looked upon as good, given the fact that they are also portrayed as the epitome of frivolity in these books as well. Like, very boy crazy and not really caring about anything. They would have shown out. And to me, this was a misrepresentation of Indianness. And that leads us to our wider um, topic for today, which is representation of Indians in in the media. Specifically, we're going to focus on Hollywood. Um, Can I shit on that just a little? Yes, bit please, more? always. Yes, like don't strain though. I'm just <laughs> saying. It was a missed opportunity, and I just don't. I mean, really, the only words that like properly sum it up is what the fuck is that shit? That's right. the only uh, way I can describe it. Can I just say, I actually looked this up just now, and I found instantly, instantly, a page that says, and it's a thread on a message board somewhere that starts with, why were the Indian characters in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire movie so poorly dressed for the ball? What's interesting is that all of these respondents seem to be white people, and all of them are like, I don't see it. Obviously <laughs> not, because you don't know how Indian people dress. Right. And... And there's only two, and here's why this is a travesty. I mean, were they afraid of them being more lavishly dressed than the main characters? That's the only thing. Are they not? They're not allowed to be prettier than Cho and Hermione in that scene because Hermione was supposed to stand out as formally dressed, and it was supposed to be so different from what she normally is. And then, of course, there's Cho who was wearing. I want to say her gown was influenced by Chinese garb, and it's beautiful. And it's a beautiful dress. But I'm sorry, Indian women dress top fucking notch. I just, I just, here are the factors that make this unbelievable. A, they are freaking witches and they can conjure up the most beautiful thing imaginable. Mm -hmm. And I refuse to believe that this is what their grown ass, fully fledged witch parent, witch or wizard parent would send to them. B, um, they are resplendent in the book. This was a total fuck up by the movie department. C, the outfits they are wearing are training bras and or things you would wear if you had something else to do, not attend a fancy dress. Like David Yates, <laughs> did you talk to Wait, an Indian? Hold yeah. on, here's a quote from this thread from an Indian person. It was a pathetic dress, no doubt. I'm from India and nobody respectful wears those colors. And the way the stole has been arranged, we call it a dupata. 
That is the that is the manner that how housewives in India put it when they are doing daily house chores. Fuck you, David Yates. <laughs> That's what when I looked at it, I was just like, oh, that is when you are helping out at a family function. That is what you wear. You know, you're not going to have a good time. That is you're not. I'm not here to have a good time out there. Yep. I know a lot of people who, when they're <coughs> getting married and they cannot afford or do not want to go to India to buy a wedding outfit, they go to London. They get their elaborate Indian outfits because if you can't go to India, London's the second best to get your refinery, your haberdashery. And I refuse to believe that I that's think, the best they could have done. I think yeah. any place that has a large Indian population has its stores that you could get Indian clothes. Like, I could go to Target and turn <laughs> one of their nicer bed sheets into a sari and look nicer than one of the Patil sisters. I mean, and to take it one further, in Fantastic Beasts or Where to Find Them... I know, I know that's not David Yates, but like Eddie Redmayne's coat is custom made for him, and they made four of them for movie one alone. You mean to tell me you couldn't have taken some you know, measuring tapes to these young ladies and custom yeah. make something for them? Even if it was hideous, no, it would have been custom. This has nothing to, need, nothing to do with needing to custom make something. They could have easily gone to a shop and still found something nicer than what they were wearing. Well, that is the point, isn't it, Anju? Like, why there? you had the easy option of going to pre-sourced, and then you had the harder option, and neither were taken. And so, here's my only other narrative guess. They either don't want the Indian girls to look way the hell a hell or bad, more badass than Hermione and Cho Chang, which I get because it wouldn't be hard for those two beautiful girls to look fucking unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And the only other, the only another narrative that would actually make sense to me is if the Patil sisters called their parents and said there was a dance and their parents were like, uh, okay, we're going to send you something. <laughs> and they just want to make sure that they don't get dates or like, don't dance with boys or something. Right. Oh, like, yeah. Or yeah. they don't want to ruin the best right. clothes yeah. they yeah. have. There we are no brown boys at your we school. We don't trust you with the nice clothes. <laughs> like, my yeah. mom put our Saudis in, like, a like a locked up file cabinet looking like thing. I did not have access <laughs> to the nicest clothes at my house. She didn't put it in a damn drawer. She put it in a place where the fabric could breathe, not get wrinkled or crushed, and any of the embroidery or the sewn-in beadwork beadwork could not be ruined. She took excellent care of our nice clothes. So I can see this fictional character's mom going, nah. (laughs) And and not only that, not only that as we step into the light away from the shade tree, not only that, you could go find a high couture Indian designer who is experimenting with the textiles and the culture and all these things that look like something a witch would wear because it's so postmodern. Mm-hmm. So to even even go to default standard 15-year-old wear when you're doing housework versus what was available to you if you just actually literally asked an Indian person. Like talk to one goddamn Indian person and they tell you. Not and not even well, okay, maybe if you talk to an Indian man, they would have been like, "Oh, this is fine." They, no, an Indian man would have said I don't know. Talk to an Indian woman. It, I don't know if they would have done that. I don't know about that, that either. Okay. I don't know. If they wanted credit for a producer credit, they probably would not have. Maybe they wanted their daughters to remain virgins, and so they wanted to dress. I mean, I do th- I, I do think that's that, a that's a plausible narrative. There, there's credence <laughs> in saying that, but then that's like presupposing things that Bullshit. aren't there that's not in the book. Because in the book, they are resplendent, they are glorious, and yeah. they are blinged out. They had moving butterflies in their hair, yeah. didn't they? So it's like... You didn't even put a butterfly clip in the in these women in these young ladies' hair. So 
I, Andre, you need to close that. I can't even look at it anymore. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is Pepto-Bismol and vomit. <laughs> all, right. all right, all right. Let's move on. Let us move on to our first official topic. <laughs> we, I just realized you're looking at their outfits. I'm like, what, her eye? <laughs> Andre, close your eye. She's talking about the, the Patil sisters' I do outfits. have very large eyes. I can see how they would be distracted. Yeah, no. Like, what? How does her eye look like Yeah, that? no. Andre, <laughs> have, we digress. Moving on. Now we would like to discuss, just to get the ball rolling, we want to talk about characters we feel express who we are as, as perhaps brown women or even as immigrants or even as first-gen Americans, what characters we find that express our personality type. Not necessarily our race, but our personality. How many characters does it need to make you? How many licks does it take to get to the center <laughs> of Tootsie Pop? Who wants to start first? You go first. I will then. go first. I feel like I am a cross between Mindy Mindy Lahiri, not Mindy Kaling, and Kelly Kapoor from The Office, and kind of, and also Olivia Pope from Scandal, only because these women, and this is the stage of life I am in now, express themselves through killer fashion, and also the pettiness of, well, Kelly Kapoor's character, the pettiness and the frivolity of her, I feel like you need to take three different women of three different walks in life. The professional, the frivolous, the semi-professional, but also like clueless, you know, cluelessness. And you would take those three women and they would represent me. Now that not, that being said, you know, you could say that to any woman, not just an immigrant woman. But to me, I find it harder to just relate to a female character on TV that... That, that would represent all of me. I am an amalgamation of different things, and I do not see those different things represented. And I will say this. I, I mention it because in any coming-of-age story, you get certain storylines for, for young ladies or for women. It's the first date, the first kiss, the first time you bring a boy home. What I have never seen are things I personally experienced in my coming of age, my growing up story in America. And specifically, I'm going to point to the story about how Indian girls shave or came to shave their legs. I feel like in my field studies, AKA asking all my Indian women friends, um, <laughs> you know, what, how, what is, how did you come to shave your legs? And we all invariably have the same story. My parents didn't allow it. Yeah. I was made fun of and I did it anyway. And here's all the fallout from that. And the fallout there can bring comedy, can bring angst, it can bring whatever. But the point being, that story is never told yeah. on TV. You know, you it's just assumed that, oh, you're a girl in America, your legs are going to be shaved and you wear shorty shorts and, and a small skirt and you go to school. That is not my experience, not only because I my school had a dress code we had to adhere to, but because my parents wouldn't allow that. Literally, I could not shave my legs until I was in high school and Indian women and Indian people in general are hairy. So it was what? Yeah. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> so that was scary and well, not scary, but it was just an adjustment and you never see that in a movie. Even if you cast an Indian girl as the, as the sidekick, as the friend or whatever, you never see that story told. Yeah. And that brings us back to why representation is important, but I digress. Who is next on what uh, characters represent ahead. you? We're so we have hair on our eyeballs for crying out loud, <laughs> like any women are great. Yep. And I, you said that, and I was like, oh my god, yeah. I mm -hmm. didn't do it until I was made fun of enough, and then I just kind of figured out how to do it on my own because 
my mom, I, I was not working on the same timetable as my mother. The characters that resonate with me is kinda, I'm a little bit Christina Yang from Grey's Anatomy. I work very hard to be more kind than I actually feel like being. And I think that's just from what I've been raised around and what I've, what I've seen on TV. I don't know. I'm weird. I, 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 oh, I think yeah. I have my go-to being mean, but then I edit it out in my head and kindness comes out. Uh, I work very hard to be nice, but like Christina Yang is a bitch and she's so funny and she's smart and unapologetic and she is willing to drop whatever it is for her own professional gain. She, she's willing to let go of what seems like what everybody else wants her to have and do and be and whatever. She'll even leave her best friend behind to go get the damn thing. Probably my favorite quote from her is like, if you want to appease me, compliment my brain. I'm like, yes, that is pretty <laughs> much it. Like, you know what? I may question your intentions if you call me beautiful, but if you call me smart, I'm probably going to agree with you. Just like... Yes. That's going to be an affirmation. And I just thought that when Christina Yank's character said that, I was like, yes. I love that. But also, I feel like if somebody calls me smart, I'm like, oh, great. Great. No. I, 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 <laughs> what do you mean by that? I mean, like, okay, no, I fucking know I'm smart. I know I'm smart. But it's I, an affirmation. It's, it's kind of like, I, I don't oh, know okay. if it's an affirmation. I feel like to me. You want to be more than smart. Well, it's not that I want to be more than smart. It's like, I already feel like they've closed off that opportunity. Like you are too smart. Like to me, uh, hearing smart because I know the level. Or intelligent. Of, or the, I, I know how smart I am. I know how intelligent I am. I know how I come off. I work hard to be smart. I work very hard to be smart. But when I hear somebody echo it to me, I'm like, great. That's all they see is, and they're intimidated. Like when I hear I'm smart, I'm like, oh, you're intimidated. I look at that as their I, problem. I do, I do see that. I, I think it's their problem. It I, is their problem. But to me, I already know, like we're not fucking. I see what you're saying, Miranda. <laughs> about, like I like the idea of you know, compliment my brain, don't compliment my looks. Yeah. But I'm kind of with Pooja on that, especially because I've been told I was smart my whole life, but I have this, like, weird... Yeah, I remember ...weird relationship yeah. with that, so that it doesn't... I'm like, okay, and like... like and I'm, it I'm totes mean the Christina to Yang. So, so I, I, like, that. that's interesting that you say that, like, the... But the thing that got me, like, going, yes, I'm a little bit Christina Yang, is... Appease my brain. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm going to go after what I'm going to go after what my ambitions are. And another one of the characters that I this it's kind of an amalgamation. I'm a little Christina Yang. I'm a little Blossom <laughs> because Blossom. I like that. Blossom. Uh, when I was a young girl and I had I played the trumpet. I picked the trumpet out, but I was I felt very awkward because there were no other girl trumpet players, and all of the girls that I thought were pretty and that all the boys liked. Uh, were flute players and playing quote-unquote girl instruments well here comes blossom and she's in the marching band and she literally does play trumpet my umbiolic not only is she a freaking genius maybe my umbiolic's who i who i am <laughs> not just blossom but blossom uh was a trumpet player as the character in the show and I, that made me feel like, oh, what I'm doing is cool, or there's other girls who do this, and not even just like other girls in the yada yada band program, but on television, and it was so cool for me to see that. I think my third character is Lisa Simpson. I'm a little bit Lisa Simpson. I'm weird, got, you know, things I'm good at, but it's not conventional or what's socially acceptable, and yet I don't back down from those things. So I feel like I'm a little bit represented in all those characters. What about you, Angie? 
Um, I think mine is a little bit Joey Potter. Yeah. <laughs> um, early Joey Potter before she got annoying, but basically just sort of the um, shy, awkward tomboy, like, you know, smart, but not really like sure mm-hmm. of herself part. And then Daria was the other one, kind of the yes. sarcastic. I wouldn't say cynical at the time, well, not as a teenager anyway, but a little bit of that too. Mm-hmm. And then also just a little bit the snarky best friend and every like sidekick and, you know, everything pretty I, much. I have to agree with what you're saying because, <laughs> and it doesn't happen all the time, but if you say something dumb or you just say something and Andrew has an opportunity to burn you, it's done in such a Daria way that's just like dry <laughs> and with that tenor of hmm yeah i think i have that the flat deadpan delivery of daria <laughs> so <laughs> next uh, time six that world yeah <laughs> yeah so there's our characters folks yep. yeah so notice that except for there were no indians right. <laughs> represented in those and i will all i i and they I, were mindy brown Kaling to, brown all the way down yep. so and, and if there were more indian characters like i feel like you have to seek out art where you will find... Minority-driven art includes other minorities, I feel. I'm specifically going to talk about Issa Rae's Awkward Black Girl, which I relate to in the awkwardness. If you, It's a web series she did before she did Insecure. There are two seasons out. They're on YouTube. And in it, she has an Indian best friend. That's also real in the sense that I, as an Indian woman, have a lot of black female friends. And so that that's another character I relate to. But she's so stupid in the show, I can't get behind her. <laughs> like, she's not intelligent. So, and, and Kelly Kapoor is not intelligent, but she is, she's my petty side, you know? <laughs> and I am, anybody can tell you who knows me, I am petty as fuck. And so, so I, I appreciate that you are, see, when you do see an Indian woman on TV, it may not necessarily be like um, Archie Punjabi from The Good Wife, where you're so you're stoic and one track minded and very high achieving, you can see the stupidity and I that's me. You know, like I'm smart but I'm also so stupid, you know? So <laughs> so I appreciate that. So representation is gonna be a big part of our show going forward. We're gonna in you know, weave these themes in and things like that. And we just wanted to get our shit list out of the way first. <laughs> right. So we talk about shitty Indians, shitty Indians on here. So here is how people present Indians in a shitty way. Is what we're going to start with. Or so have in the past. Have, have in the past. past. So one of the things we want to talk about are bad representation. Like, basically wrong. Like, so wrong it's offensive. Not just so we could laugh it off. And I think one of the biggest ones on there, chime in if you guys agree, is Indiana Jones oh and my the God, Temple of yes. Doom. Yeah. Especially because there were so few representations of Indian people at the time. So in the 80s, it was literally this, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom with the death cults. And, and it was you, Reza, by the and, way. And short short circuits with Johnny Five and what's it? What was the Indian name of the guy Indian played guy? by a white dude? Yeah, Fisher Fish, Stevens. Fisher Stevens' character, who I didn't even know Fisher Stevens wasn't Indian until I was like in my teens, and it was heartbreaking because like the one Indian guy wasn't even really Indian. And for those of you who don't know who Fisher Stevens is, Fisher Stevens also played. Um, uh, one of Monica's boyfriends on the first season of Friends. And if you remember, Monica dated only white men. So there you go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on that first and every season afterwards. In so- Indiana Jones, I well, there's a couple things we have to shit on before we leave. In my head, and like this, you know, assimilating little American Indian girl, 
I saw Indiana Jones and I saw the white character saving the little Indian kids. You know, we can't help ourselves as poor stupid Indians. And then there was also like the presentation of food in India, which was really fucked up. Yeah, like they made us seem like barbarians, mm-hmm. and I actually had to prepare myself in case some dumbass friend of mine thought we actually eat monkey brains over there. I have been asked whether or not I am a cannibal when I was in third grade when we just moved to America, and now that I'm thinking about it, that timeline jives with this fucking movie. So, oh no, I definitely was asked similar questions, and I just think I remember being like, no. I got grossed out watching that scene. Yeah, like, that was... That's appalling. I, <laughs> uh, so, for those of you who don't know, Hindu people practice this thing called ahimsa, which translates to do no harm. And that is what justifies vegetarianism in that faith. So you are you are not supposed to do any harm in living your life. And ahimsa, the practice of not doing that, would translate into vegetarianism. So the fact that you're having people who are quote-unquote maharajas, a.k.a. kings, and and queens and royalty who would live by the divine right of of God at that time, and it would also be, uh, you know, the Hindu faith is prevalent in the parts of India they portray in this movie. Um, The whole movie starts with talking about the Hindu god Shiva, for God's sake. So it's like, they would not be eating meat. (laughs) I'm sorry. They wouldn't be unless they. it's a post-colonial World And clearly it's the 1940s and it would be rife with colonialism. But to say going from not eating meat to dabbling in maybe stray chickens and maybe a deer to monkey brains is ridiculous. Because again, monkeys are sacred to the faith and things like that. Cows are sacred. Just every animal life is sacred. I don't see this being a thing. They didn't ask a goddamn Indian. Again, ask not, an no. Indian. It had nothing to do with real Indians. Yeah, AAI, ask an Indian. When in <laughs> doubt, AAI. I think we need to throw the goddamn in here. Ask a goddamn Indian. Yeah. I, A-G-D-A-I. Yes, there, there you have it. But there's more. Of course. So you were a little kid and you watched this new show called The Simpsons. And how do they represent Indians? Hello, come again. And not, that's no, terrible. That's, that's actually that's actually very faint compared to how over the top the accent is in the show, and it not only okay. Look, yes, are there a lot of Indian people who own convenience stores or run convenience stores? Yes, but why is that such a big goddamn fucking deal? It's not. There's dignity in every job. You wouldn't have access to your fucking tobacco if it wasn't hanging around in one of these stores. Here's my problem with Apu twofold. One, who voices Apu? A white man. Yeah. And a white man has been doing it since 1989. That is offensive. Number two, any people who own gas stations are owning multiple after a certain point and are hella rich. So Apu being kind of hand to mouth, having to work every day, Indian people own multiple gas stations if you own one. And if right. you own multiple, if you own one gas station, it's because you also own a cleaners or you own a restaurant or you own something else. Like Indian people, unfortunately, are about the money. So they mm. would do things to capitalize on that. And so that is another negative representation. But also the whole thank you come again mentality, like that is what he is. He's a thank you come again doormat, you know, yeah. for the yellow foils in this town. I my One of my first super racist things that were ever said to me as a kid was and it was really interesting because it was this tall lanky kid and it's like you're you're 
Indian, so your dad's probably a convenience store owner. And he just, like, walked off. And I was, like, utterly confused because my dad drives a Mercedes and he's a computer programmer, except I didn't have those words. (laughs) I didn't have the retort ready. I was just too, like, blindsided by the fact that somebody would say that to me. And and my mom was a nurse. So it was just kind of like, what the f- <laughs> what the fuck? And and this show did that. Still does that. And still does that. Big themes we talked about. Indiana Jones. We talked about Short Circuit. We talked about Apu. Uh, sorry, big characters. Now let's talk about themes that are misrepresenting us. Going back to the convenience store thing. It, that's also a theme. That profession is a theme. You see convenience store. You see terrorist. Or you see math nerd. You don't see... Doctor. You see lawyer. No, engineer. You see doctors mostly. Yeah, you don't see marketer. You don't see business owner. They're nothing, nothing sexy. Basically, we are not portrayed as sexual beings. There's a huge problem that we are not represented in narratives as sexual beings. We're portrayed as these asexual or sexless. Um, side characters that nobody wants in any way other than objects to be laughed at but not laughed with usually and this this is why i have a problem with aziz's appearance on snl this last season yes he's the first indian person to host snl yes and his monologue was brilliant his monologue was brilliant which he wrote right on his own obviously that's his own material one of the very first scene, skits that he did with Elena, the only Hispanic woman on SNL, um, or Latinx woman, sorry, is the scene where they're trying to get get it on in bed, and they keep getting interrupted for some reason where the dirty talk isn't going where it needs to be. And, but but the thing that bothered me the most is the physical intimacy that was portrayed. And I don't know if it's because they the two of them don't have chemistry or like looking at either one of them just just played out as like Ugh, on on TV, but. They were just doing this random hand rubby thing, cartoonish sexual sexualization of each other. He missed an opportunity to be suave, and, I, and that could be his limitation as him and himself. But I feel like he could have been suave. He, could, right. he is but suave I don't, I don't in Masters of None. He's it? suave in Masters of None. Yes, okay. him courting that white girl. He's small. He's suave in Masters of None. Okay. In an awkward way, but at the same time, it's just like there is no questioning his desire in his own show. His need to be liked, his his expression of like, of other things. But in this one three-minute skit with her, that has a wider audience than people seeking him out on Netflix. This is not... It, to me, was just like, yo, you lost a lot of points with me personally, and, and you did nothing for the cause. Because, Anju, we've talked about this before, where there's not a problem for Indian women to be sexy. No. You want to talk about that versus Indian men? Right, yeah. Uh, conver- nope, there's the not idea, a problem. There the idea that, men. yeah, Indians aren't portrayed as being sexual or sexy is really a problem for Indian men, not an issue for Indian women. There's never been an issue with Indian women not being seen as attractive. I mean, we see that in Bollywood most often, but even in in the Western world, just the fact that like all these Miss Universe and Miss World pageants over decades have frequently been won by Indian women is a good indicator of that. Yeah, there's never been an issue with Indian women being seen as attractive. It's just the Indian men. So, what character? Like a few to name a few characters where we're seeing this. Kevin Nepore in Mean Girls. He was head of the math 
Leets, right? On Big Bang Theory. Canal Meyer. Mm-hmm. And he plays Raj, who, again, going back to that, that sexual impotence that they portray Indian people in, until most recently, he could not speak around women. Like, right. In the really- show about nerds who are awkward around women, he was the most awkward and the most incapable to land a partner. Yeah. When in real life, he'd be getting the most play out of all those people. Like, he is, he is, he is attractive. He is intelligent. And also, in the show, he rich as hell. So, I'm like... Out of all those, out of all the... the His real-life wife is gorgeous. Yes. Also, yeah. <laughs> he married a brown girl. Go him. Like, out of the three the, the three men on that show, the three other men, he is the most, objectively, the most attractive. Mm-hmm. And so, to hamper him, like David Yates did with the Lingas, to yeah. the girls, you made him uh, unable to talk to women on the show unless he was intoxicated and mm-hmm. then then they played that up for comedy so what you know like brown men like we're sorry like i don't know i don't know what to do with that we still love you <laughs> to an yeah. extent that we can but you know I mean, there's so many so many other examples like the only indian male characters that they would bring on a show had to have a super thick accent and had to be just like unattractive as fuck, like the glee. Pre- the Which glee is all thank you, Iqbal Theba. Like, let's talk about let's talk about that. He is seriously sitting there with a with a thick accent, and we're supposed to believe in colorblind casting. And his name is Figgins, Principal Figgins, with a Pakistani accent. No, yeah, uh, no, <laughs> that's hilarious. Sorry, that's funny because I'm watching Designated Survivor right now, and Cal Penn is on that show, and his character's name is. Seth Wright, I think. And Seth my Wright. eyes rolled so hard in the first episode when they introduced him with that name. And I'm like, are you kidding? And then even more hilariously, as the season has progressed, they've talked about how his parents were immigrants. And finally, just a couple of weeks ago, somebody called him out on the fact that he had changed his name. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you for at least giving at least me an explanation. Because I'm sure somebody complained <laughs> about it. Good thing for us to Google. Find a find a thread on that, and so okay. There, I do have to say this about um, Iqbal. Mm-hmm. I I met him in person. Oh really? And um, I was a host at uh, an upscale restaurant where he came in, and it was like meeting the principal on Glee. He was no different than what he is on screen. I wasn't starstruck. I'm like, you just look like another uncle. <laughs> like, and and there was no thick accent. Of course he's a, not. He's a normal human being would you believe so it's definitely something that's directed well we know it's something that that. it's something that indians are always especially indian men are always asked to do and until recently he touches on this in in master of none so we can start by talk start talking about recent attempts at how these breaking away from these stereotypes yes well can we before we do can we also throw back under that shade tree let's put next to david yates as the representation of indian fashion uh, the show outsourced from NBC, which is a giant embarrassment. Of, I refuse of, to watch of, it. I, I watched it. I'm not going to lie. I had you. white friends ask me if I'm watching it. I watched it because I was like, these brown people need a job. Like, I need them. I need people to know somebody out there is watching this shit. It was playing on every stereotype you have of Indian people with the limited knowledge you would expect from 1984 and Indiana Jones in a show set in the new millennium. Like, it's disgusting. It was gross. But, but see, how sad is it that the most stereotypical and unflattering portrait of Indians 
on television and you you and you're not the only one mm-hmm. but okay. we feel obligated to support it as brown people because hey it's a show about brown people even though it is not in any way good for us what what's the outcome either it does poorly and the lesson that hollywood learns is to stop doing shows about indian people or it does well and the lesson that hollywood learns is to keep selling the stereotype right it was it was like watching a car accident for me i checked it out for curiosity's sake that is the initial reason i checked it out i mean i'm not faulting you for it i'm just saying that's how we're conditioned to support it regardless right Right. i I started watching it in the off chance that oh it starts with this this cookie cutter premise about bullshit but they're gonna turn it on its head but i forgot we're talking about nbc and they don't do shit like that but what they did do on parks and rec and it could be a testament to a season his representation and his reputation as well as they did address in the first season in a stakeout episode of Parks and Rec, him and Amy Poehler were in a van staking out somebody's house. And she asked him, like, where are you from from? That quintessential question, uh-huh. where are you from from? And he's like, South fucking Carolina. <laughs> my parents, you know. Doesn't my he par- also have a non-Indian name? Like a- his, name, his name is Tom Haverford. Right, right. But she's like, why are you Tom Haverford? And I cannot remember the exact name, but it was, has 79 syllables. And he was like, because nobody's going to say Mohandas Kamarchand, blah, 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 blah. You know, like, nobody's going to bother saying that. So my name is Tom Haverford. And I relate to that because we've talked about it in the name episode. Right. You know, like, you get... You get that, but but they never adjust his brownness otherwise. No. You know, that was the one instance, two minutes of an entire seven season show where they addressed it. You know? Yeah. Gross. NBC, gross. And, and shame on you. There, it's, it's, there's two sides to that coin because I do think that Aziz doesn't want to call too much attention to his Indianness so that he's not used as an Indian prop. Right. And I think he succeeded in not becoming that. Ended up being the envy of every frat boy somehow. I think that there's something to be said about him not bringing too much attention to it, but you're right. He had the power to shape that narrative. And also not bringing too much attention to it. I get you are the first, so it's a fine line and it's a very trial and error situation. You do it one way and with re- with retrospect in 2020 hindsight, we can say, well, you did it the wrong way. And that even then that's subjective. But to me... Okay, you you did it. You addressed it this one way, but the fact that you never, the fact that it never came up in the rest of the show is a problem for me. Right. You know, like there are so many opportunities. If like even if he was just like, you know what, one day I'm just gonna go by my, I'm just gonna go by Raj, even if it's a fake name. Right. At that point, you not you are not Tom Haverford, assimilated Indian. You are, you are Raj Haverford, brown guy who's cool as fucking hell. Coined the term, treat yourself. With right. Don Amigo. You know, <laughs> like, you, you, you missed an opportunity to identify, to 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 um, remediate the reputation that brown people has have as nerds. I think I think because there were so few examples, for somebody like, like Aziz at this point in his career, he had two options, which is either to be the stereotypical Indian or to try and be not the stereotypical Indian by trying to just be a regular person who happens to be brown and there's no middle ground. And, yeah, and we can, I, and I understand that we're saying that now away from the pressures of Hollywood, away from the constraints of what success looks like. Right. We're, we're saying it with an expectation of, you know, you are a scion, please represent us. Right. right. You know, and we've talked about this before and I am very vocal about this. It's like if you are, if you are there 
and you are brown, you need to be making space for other people well, behind much, you. And how much... We don't know who the writers were. Like, that's my yeah, question. That, like, how much control did he have over that narrative, or was he just an And actor? then on top well, of the writers, you have the producers, the people the funding network. the money, the yeah. network. Which so, leads to my next question, which is about how a lot of the things are starting to change now, and, and a lot of that seems to be driven by Indian people telling their own stories. Like, you've got Mindy Kaling creating her own show. You've got Aziz creating his own show. Priyanka Chopra is headlining on ABC. But not one that she created, but yes. That's no, she didn't create it, but she is a head, a lead character, and the show revolves around her. Right, and but again, that happens after you start having these people taking control and telling their own narratives. Right. We also have... In the more like social media kind of space, you have people like Lily Singh and Jess Rain, right? And RuPaul Bai, and and even the Caribbean diaspora. You have um, Superas, you have Prince Charming, you have um, all all of those Nikki Begum, and, and they are creating content that represents the community and the space they live in. We did have, and they're having success at it, which is the bigger point. Is that they're telling they're telling that in between narrative we're talking about, where they get to be Americans but without denying their Indian heritage, and talking about how we kind of bridge it. And they had success with it. Mindy had success with it. Aziz had success with it. Lily Singh is the third top-grossing YouTube star who made what one point some million dollars last year or something. Like that's astronomical success, and it's starting to. It, I think that draws the attention of the people who actually call the shots in Hollywood, which is starting to give us shows like Priyanka Chopra starring in a major right. network television show. There, we skipped over one pretty big one. The movie Bend It Like Beckham. Oh, right. Was like the first time I saw that, you know, it is an Indian girl who wants to do this very non-Indian thing. I was like, oh my God, it's me. And then, yeah. you know, trying to hang on to her culture and at the same time wanting something very different which was like the 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 problem what will shit on is again the aspiration to have a white man you well know, her aspiration was her to aspiration play was to play. but you know what i'm saying as far as like her romantic interests right her romantic interests were to be with this boy who was an Indian. I will say, to be fair, her choice was between playing soccer and being with the white guy and she was real quick to say I just want to play soccer. Right. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to date the white guy right. until at the end, like that seemed like it was a possibility. Right. I, I, I will at least give her credit that that wasn't her, her sole goal or even the most important goal. That was a side goal that she was willing to sacrifice if she had to. Okay. We're not seeing that play out with a black dude, a Mexican guy. So like there is that sort of, um, if you do interracially date, make sure it's with one of these kind of things don't get me started on this like <laughs> i am conducting an informal study of movies that represent interracial relationships where one of the partners isn't white because that is my reality and i don't see that and mississippi the, masala that mississippi is it masala. that is it and when i was talking to and that's from what the early 90s and and when i was talking to the crush about this movie he said to me, I don't even think Denzel watched that movie and he fucking stars in it. Oh, you know, no. like, that's how much that movie is a non-motherfucking factor. That movie is important to us. To me, in America, you don't see interracial relationships unless the other person is white. And that's detrimental because that's not, again, that's not our reality. And to me, Bandit Like Beckham is 
is is that like I don't feel like if you grew up as a brown girl in a in a in a in a family start structure that was sheltered enough that made you feel like dating wasn't a thing you should do before you want to jump put your toe in white the white pool immediately like there was not there was so much quickness about this like there was no being torn about it like right. there is no like oh my god what am i doing will there be shame there was no hiding there was no sticking around it was just like i'm empowered i'm gonna do this that's not reality no and for that age group that that movie was aimed like dating was supposed to be dating dating interracially and and if you're dating somebody who's white that's not the problem the problem is that there's no equality in what is okay or considered okay or what is represented in interracial relationships. So, uh, me, I've dated only white guys, <laughs> it seems. And so, I, it's not about that. It's that, it's the idea that it was shoved down my throat in this kind of, in film, in culture, that if I do date interracially, you know, it might, that blew up in my face eventually. And the words that were said to me was, I think that eventually um, cultural background would have played a role in this not working. He said that to me. And I was like, <laughs> just like I, that I, I, that destroyed me. And I ended up not having this kind of conversation with another boyfriend after that. Not since. Mm -hmm. I never had this conversation about um, cultural. So my culture and how it's played in my life because that blew up in my face. So I didn't talk about my Indianness. So I totally see why Aziz wouldn't talk about his Indianness or Mindy wouldn't talk about her Indianness. So I can like, the funny thing is that you were talking about how there's a daily struggle, but there's an unspoken daily struggle. So also for people like, well, I'm in an interracial relationship and I'm cool. We're cool. But you know, and, and to that extent, I'm not shitting on interracial relationships where the other partner's white. I feel like, if you've had that conversation and if you are comfortable and, and if you guys make it work and there's love and blah, blah, blah. I don't believe in love either, but, but you know, <laughs> but like blah, blah, blah. Pretty just a cynic period. I, yeah. I am a cynic about everything, but, but I can be, I'm the other side of that conversation. When somebody told you this wouldn't work out because of culture, I can see me telling somebody that like, I can straight up tell somebody that that's why I'm comfortable dating minorities because even if you don't understand this culture, my specific culture, you're still aware that there is that. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I can you, see how that's a leg up, yeah. Where where you are not, whereas, and I've experienced this with my non-minority friends, it's like you have a privilege and an assumption about you that because I don't express it to you, it doesn't exist for me, right? So if you say something crazy to me and I go off on you, oh no, where did that come from? You've never been like that. I don't have to be like that 24-7 for you to respect me and my ideals, beliefs, and upbringing. Like, right. in my my personal experience, minority men are more amenable and more to, to learn about the specific culture, cultural traditions in a, in a way that I want, I want to include you in that discussion and make you a part of it, you right. know, without fear of you're going to judge me. Blowing up in your face. Yeah. And um, it's a shared human experience and it's nothing that has to be explained. And when you're the most privileged demographic in the United States... How do you have that conversation and how does it, how does somebody listen to you? And there is a, there's a, it's, it requires bravery. You're asking somebody who has absolutely no shared experience to understand you 
and it is easier said than done. Trust me. Obviously, you're right. But I mean, but again, obviously, there are people who do succeed at that. It yeah. just it just requires finding someone who is open minded and is willing to make that effort to learn about your culture. Someone who can take perspective without accommodating his or her entire worldview or entire view of that entire culture based on this one experience or this one person's explanation and also can participate without being appropriative yes that that's a big part of it we i think we covered all of what we wanted to talk about with the exception of miss marvel yes Uh, so i personally have a problem with the marvel universe that Anju and i talked about at lunch today uh it has come out in uh within the last week that the vice president of marvel i cannot think of his name it'll be in the show notes came out and gave a statement to the press the slump in sales at marvel is due to the fact that people don't want diversity Okay, they don't want diversity in their titles. Fuck for the, you, wait, 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 wait. by the way. To back up, for those of you who don't know, Marvel has made a huge push toward diversity in their comics in the last couple of years. Yes. And it was something that they were lauded for, so he seems to feel that this slump in sales is a direct response he, to that. And I'll find the exact quote, but he called out women specifically. So there, he does not take into... Wait, a, he called out women specifically in that women aren't buying these comics because we don't like to be represented? No, that nobody wants to see a woman oh. as the main story of a comic story, right? Okay, so we'll get to Miss Marvel in a second. Uh, I want I want to address this bullshit. Wait, sorry, go ahead. He's not taking into account several factors. One, hey Marvel, stop fucking tying in your movies to your comics. Stop creating 12 crossover stories between titles that people are forced to buy several different titles to understand what the hell's going on and maybe the character stream they want or dedicated to. Stop creating minority characters in response to a backlash of a lack of them and tell a story and also allow people who who write and illustrate your stories to have the freedom to illustrate them how they want i'm bringing this up because in the new i do not know the character's name but she's half black half latina she's latinx and she's uh queer the new superhero they had an extensive email chain chain about lightening her skin tone by the colorist why there are people who are purple, green, blue, have arms coming out of their asses. Why does her exact coffee tone matter to you? Fuck you. Um, and also, Marvel, you create and own your characters. And so writers who can tell good stories don't want that. They want to tell their own stories and own their characters and own their products. So yes, they will leave for independent titles. And those titles sell. My The only comics I buy from Marvel are Miss Marvel. And the Black Panther, because that's written by Ta-Nehisi Coates, and my stan, Roxanne Gay, is writing the new series. So, to address Miss Marvel, Miss Marvel, for those of you who don't know, and like Thor, you know, they they changed the iteration of the main character. So, Miss Marvel traditionally was a white blonde woman, and the new Miss Marvel is a teenage Muslim woman, uh, young girl actually. But the very first, the very first book in the series, she struggles with. Her being Miss Marvel, in order for her to have encompass her superhero power, she has to turn into the traditional representation of Miss Marvel, which is white and blonde. And she rails against it. She's like, but that's not me. You're telling me in order to, for me to be super, I have to be white. And that is a struggle I appreciate. This comic is written by um, a woman illustrated by a brown woman. And, and, and it is 
transformative in that but then you have the vice president of marvel saying like it's not worth it because the sales aren't there fuck you wait but i'm confused can we back up how is he saying it's because women aren't like nobody wants to see comics about women miss marvel was always about women like there have always been but she's also background there have always been titles about female characters and there have been ones that have been successful i'm not specifically i'm I'm a more of a dc girl than a marvel girl so Mm -hmm. i don't have a lot of examples for marvel off the top of my head but i mean and what is he comparing it to the number one title that uh the number one selling title for i think the first quarter or maybe the last month sold a hundred thousand copies like you're not gonna get sales like you got before digital media existed right you know so please recognize that you troglodyte but I don't I don't have an answer for you I don't yeah. know why he said that I'll find the quote we'll put it on we'll discuss it on the show notes but to me it's ludicrous it, and to me it sullies Miss Marvel being the step that we needed to see right in comic space yeah so, I mean it's definitely it's definitely backing away from it that's for sure yeah so I mean that's bullshit but also you have things like let's talk about um, Nina Duvaluri yeah Duvaluri yeah the first Indian Miss USA. USA. Yeah, and, and let's let's talk about the backlash after that because I remember tweeting like, "Oh, y'all over here talking shit about Indian people and being racist." I hope I hope you all have tech problems today. That'd be the greatest irony in the world. <laughs> like the the calls of her being a towel head and so 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 and blah blah blah. She rose above it. From all I know, I don't follow beauty pageants. We all know what I think about those, but <laughs> you know the fact that. In 2014, you know, you have a a brown woman clearly of immigrant, clearly of immigrant stock, Mm -hmm. you know, up there representing America, saying Mm -hmm. like, this is the best, most beautiful, brightest, and she is brown. That that was a step in the right direction, just like the year before when they had the first deaf American woman Mm -hmm. as Miss America, also steps in the right direction. But then again, those that pageant is owned by Orange. We're still comparing women, so right, yeah. But it was it was something that I think Indians took really a lot of pride in. It was definitely a moment in representation. With that, I think we need to take a pause, and we're going to come back to speak more about what has been going right in Hollywood. Uh, But until then, this has been Miranda, Pooja, and Anju with the Jilted Indian Podcast. Thanks for listening. We're here with another bunch of hot opinions or a bag of dicks, however you want to look at it. (laughs) Today we are going to to be talking about representation. (laughs) It is really late and I said bag of dicks and Miranda has lost her shit. Uh, let's start over. Yeah, we <laughs> no, no, no we didn't. that no, stays. No, That's no. pretty great. <laughs> no, we. we I'm tagging this on the end of the show. Perfect. Okay. okay. I still feel like if that's gonna be a bloops, let's start. <laughs> let's redo. Yeah. Bloop bloop. All right. Blah, 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 blah.